Hi everyone, thanks for tuning in again to Incorp's Season 2 of Pro Business Podcast Series with today's fifth episode. I'm Eric here again, Incorp's Chief Business Development Officer. And Incorp, we specialize in providing a wide range of corporate services and business advisory services in eight markets of Asia Pacific. So for more information, please visit our website at www.incorp.asia. For Season 2 of our Pro Business Podcast Series, we are excited to have partnered with Singapore's Economic Development Board, or EDB for short. We will be exploring the exciting opportunities in different key industries that Southeast Asia, as a region, possess for companies and entrepreneurs globally. So for today's episode, we are very happy to have with us Wong Jinin, Regional Director, Americas of EDB, and Josh Tetrick, co-founder and CEO of Eat Just, as we deep dive into the exciting agri-food food tech industry within Southeast Asia and its many business uh, opportunities. So maybe Josh and Jinin will kindly give our audience a self-intro before the start of our discussion. Maybe Josh, you want to go first? Happy to. Good to be with you. My name is Joshua Tetrick. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Eat Just, and we're on a mission to change the way we eat meat and eggs. We think meat and eggs should be free of slaughter, free of zoonotic disease, made in a way that's causing a lot less harm to the planet uh, and to our bodies. And we have two products uh, to do that. One is called Just Egg, and one is called Good Meat. And for Good Meat, we're fortunate to be the first company to receive regulatory approval to sell cultured, cultivated meat, which we feel really grateful to be doing in Singapore today, both at high-end restaurants and, and more recently as of a few days ago at Mr. Lou's Hawker Stand in his curry chicken rice. I'm personally driven to use my life to make the food system better. Thank you, Josh. Jinin? Yes. Hi, everyone. My name is Jinin. I'm part of EDB's international operations team uh, based in San Francisco. In this role, I work with uh, companies like Eat Just on their business and investment interests in Singapore. So very happy to be here. Thank you both. So maybe Jin, I'll pose the first question to you. Southeast Asia, or SEA for short, is rapidly becoming a hub for modern agri-food or food tech companies. So in the industry, there's many new entrants right now, right? Spread across, you know, alternative proteins, urban farming, or sustainable agriculture, for example. So or in your opinion, can you tell the audience why is the present time such an exciting time for agri-tech or agri-food in Southeast Asia? Yeah, sure. I think food security has been a growing issue globally. And climate change and urbanization, you know, it's widely known to be reducing the availability of agricultural resources in the world. And I think this is more pertinent in Asia and Southeast Asia. We have the fastest growing population and food spending is expected to double to 8 trillion US dollars by 2030. And with urbanization, we see consumer preferences shifting as well, increasingly driven by considerations in health and wellness, as well as sustainability. So there's definitely a problem to be solved. And I think it's something that the agri-food industry, uh, including alternative proteins, can help to address. And we are really seeing some global players expand into Asia. So for instance, uh, Eat Just, Building their protein isolate facility in Singapore, Beyond Meat has opened a manufacturing facility in China. Oatly from Sweden has also formed a partnership with a Singaporean drinks manufacturer, Yo's, to produce vegan milk in Singapore. And we see the local scene heating up as well. We have next-gen foods, a plant-based chicken alternative that can be found in multiple countries in Asia, Europe, and now even in the US. And Shok Meats plans to launch their cell-based crustacean meat by 2023. So there are many other local and global companies looking to Asia as their next base for growth. And we think that's very exciting. 
No, thank you, Jean. But for Josh, right, I think earlier on in the introduction, you have shared that Eat Just have launched in Asia via Singapore as your first stop. When it comes to the production part of it, right, can you tell us about how food production in your industry is changing in Southeast Asia and how Eat Just is going to ride on these trends going forward? Sure. So for us, when we think about meat and eggs, the vast majority of meat and eggs is consumed in Asia. So if we're serious about making those products better, more sustainable, healthier, we better be serious about growing, producing, reaching consumers in Asia. We've decided that Singapore should be the hub of that. And we're doing a number of things in Singapore, including building a large-scale protein separation facility, moving forward with building um, a, a cultivated meat facility uh, in Singapore. So lots of activities in, in Singapore in particular for us. We just don't see the company getting anywhere close to solving the problems of the food system without solving for Asia. And you need a base to do it. And uh, we've been really fortunate to have the support of and leadership of the Economic Development Board, the the evidence-based approach of SFA, and other leaders across Singapore to make it a real home for us. Thank you, Josh. I I know that uh, you have been doing a lot of activities in conjunction with partnership with the Singapore government. But riding on this question, um, do you foresee the industry expanding even further into the other countries of Southeast Asia when it comes to food production? Yeah, certainly. I mean, to me, you, you go where people are eating and across Southeast Asia, people are eating a lot of chicken, meat and eggs, and you want to go there. I think you've got to sequence things properly. You don't want to go everywhere at once and you'll have too much on your plate. So we started in Singapore because we feel like both from a production, intellectual property protection, support of the government, ecosystem, consumer, it makes the most sense to start there. Um, Southeast Asia overall is a really important market for us. Hey Josh, I, I guess when we talk about alternative protein or cultured meat, we cannot avoid the question of consumer acceptance for such products uh, within Southeast Asia versus the Western market. I guess for Southeast Asian consumers, right, because of local palates, they probably will take time to adopt to new alternatives like this. So what do you think companies in your space right, can do to tackle this? Well, I think point one to me is obviously Southeast Asia is made up of a number of countries, each with different characteristics that make more or less sense to launch first, that make more or less sense to launch different products. So I don't think anyone can look at Southeast Asia as being you know, homogeneous in the same way that many other regions are. So right now our focus in Southeast Asia is, is Singapore. One of the advantages of cultured, cultivated meat is that is meat, it's just made in a different way with a cell instead of a live animal. The flavor profile is what you would expect it to be. It tastes like chicken. Singapore has not only been um, vital for us in setting up the base of our cultivated meat operations, but also learning. We've had the chance to serve well over 700 consumers in Singapore uh, cultured meat and ask them what they think, what they like, what they don't like, Mm. what would they like next whether at a a high-end restaurant or a members club like 1880 or my favorite place to launch (laughs) cultivated made soup art, Mr. Lou's, just last weekend. Um, And that's been been really important. I think generally speaking, if I'm going to compare Singapore with the U.S., there seems to be a higher awareness of culture cultivated meat, a higher awareness of alternatives overall. I think more of an interest, whether driven by health and wellness, sustainability, food security, innovation. 
Mr. Lou, interestingly, when you ask him why he decided to offer a good meat on his menu, talks about the importance of technology evolving society and how whether you're talking about automation or other technologies, it, it helps to push society forward and ultimately do a lot of good. We've also noticed in Singapore that there's been a significant number of young people, including the very first group that tried it, that are incredibly enthusiastic, not just about what we're doing, but I think getting into this themselves. They want to be the ones who start the next companies. You know, they don't just see our company as a company offering a product. They see our company <laughs> as a potential competitor when they start their own thing. That's just, that's awesome to see. I think that's another big advantage that I've seen. In, in- so that's great. I guess to a follow-up question to you, Josh, is that Southeast Asia is made up of developed markets and developing countries, of which you know, GDP per capita can really range between the richer countries to the slightly not-so-rich countries. So in your opinion, as of now, what I see in the market right, is pricing for alternative proteins can be a little bit high versus normal meat. right? So do you think that will be a wider issue for the future within Southeast Asia, where you know, certain countries whereby you know average income will be lower? Yeah, it certainly will. You know, just like it'll be a limiting step in North America. So if companies like ours can't figure out a way to use scale and technology to bring costs down, well, there's going to be a limit on what we can accomplish. If you take the population Southeast Asia and just the top 5 to 10% income earners, college educated, making over... 100,000 plus a year. Well, that's probably, that's less than 5, 10% of the overall population. And if you can't figure out a way to drive the cost down until it's at or below what the conventional approach is, then you're not going to reach the full potential of the market. So I, I've just accepted that as a reality um, and then accepted the responsibility of making sure that we're focused not just on making the product, but driving the agenda of cost reduction. For us, that's about scale, that's about cell density, that's about reducing the cost of media. Ultimately, I want to be able to have our poultry meat at a price at or below what conventional meat is currently going for. Now, that's a long-term process. Mm. Not going to happen all at once. I think a good parallel is electric cars. Electric cars right now are not purchased by someone who's making under $20 a day, right? Yep. Both the, the majority of the world can't afford an electric car. But as scale comes up, cost comes down, you gradually reach out to more people. And that, that's what has to be done ultimately to have an impact as wide as we want in the region. No, I think the comparison to EVs, a great comparison, Josh, uh, because you know, ten, five, ten years ago, the, nobody can dream of uh, owning an EV versus today where it's more common. So from the Singapore government's perspective, uh, Jinin, why is our government pushing so hard in this space? Yeah, Eric, the genesis of this is really a bit of an existential. You may know today Singapore imports over 90% of our food supply. And external shocks or global events such as COVID-19 right, can have a very serious impact on food security. So... You know, to ad- address these challenges, in 2019, Singapore announced a goal to achieve uh, 30 by 30. And this is to produce 30% of our nutritional needs locally by 2030. So to that end, we're actually working with companies on setting up urban farms, uh, high-tech aquaculture facilities, as well as uh, alternative protein manufacturing plants in Singapore. But beyond building food resilience, I think we see an opportunity to be a global hub for the development and commercialization of every food tech solutions 
that can sustainably feed the world. So in 2019, SFA worked with ASTAR, which is our national research agency, to put together the Singapore Food Story R&D program. And this is a 144 million program aimed at beefing up our R&D capabilities across uh, three key themes. So this is sustainable urban food production, future foods, and food safety science and innovation. And on top of that, we're also building an agri-food innovation park, which is going to be a reference site to validate agri-food technologies at scale. So to what Josh mentioned earlier, I think Singapore would be very happy to partner uh, with companies like Eat Just to really figure out how we can bring you know, these technologies at a commercial scale. Thank you, Jean. I think earlier on, Josh was saying that the company can come into Singapore because of a very supportive Singapore government. So for companies in the food tech space, right, how can they work with governments when it comes to the regulations and clearance? Yeah. So I think firstly, we acknowledge that navigating regulation in this nascent industry is not easy because it's also new for the regulators. For us, I think Singapore aspires to be a leader in the area of novel food regulations. We think this presents a number of exciting opportunities for companies. So firstly, companies can start market testing of their products in Singapore once they're approved for sale by the Singapore Food Agency or SFA, which is the equivalent of the FDA in the US. And we think this gives companies an edge because they can be early adopters. They can gather consumer data and use that to improve their products. And, you know, you mentioned as well, and Josh mentioned as well, Singapore is first in the world uh, to approve cultured meat products and has approved not one, but two of eat just good meat chicken products. And, you know, you can have it at restaurants, you can order online. And you And a few days ago, I think, uh, they launched at the hawker stall as well, which is uh, we think is really going to bring cell-based meat to the masses in Singapore. And secondly, we think Singapore can be a base for companies to conduct frontier food safety science research. Last year, we launched the Future Ready Food Safety Hub, Fresh, which is a public-private partnership platform for the industry uh, to learn how to prove the safety of their own products. And last but not least, I think we recognize the challenges of navigating so many different regulatory authorities in the region. Singapore aims to create platforms for the sharing of best practices. Last year, the SFA hosted a novel foods roundtable at the Singapore International Agri-Food Week, engaging other countries in key issues on regulatory approval. And we hope that such efforts can help to accelerate the development of this industry. Thank you, Jeanette. Hi, Josh. Uh, earlier on, you have mentioned that it just chose to house your Asia-Pacific headquarters in Singapore. So I, I'm sure your team or yourself, you have gone through several rounds of consideration, right, to choose or to select a country, you know, around the world or in Asia. But why Singapore? Why is Singapore your, your first foray into Asia? Yeah, there are a few things going on there. I think it starts with Singapore's approach is 20, 30, 40 years ahead. Right, They're thinking about the kind of food system, the kind of transportation system, the kind of telecommunication system, the kind of biotechnology industry that'll make sense decades in the future. And when you have that kind of future-oriented posture, it ends up impacting everything. Citizens think about themselves, how civil society is thinking about where government's uh, investing its resources, where private capital is investing uh, their resources. It's a real galvanizing force. And it. I, I feel that future orientation when I talk to a senior member of, of, of EDB. It's, mm. just, it's just there. I think the second thing is 
Singapore is known for being at the, the leading edge of the world in protecting intellectual property rights. And the nature of what we're doing is, is very much IP centric, whether we're separating protein to make an egg from a plant or we're altering cells in a large scale bioreactor, there's real technology there and we want to know that it's, it's protected. Third is the consumer base in Singapore, I've found, is, is very open to these new ideas, very interested, very curious, just very open minded. and. Uh, in many ways, I, th I think the Singaporean consumer is just a number of years ahead of, of others, and that's a good place to be because you want to know where consumers are going. And then finally, from a regulatory perspective, we found that SFA is not only future-oriented, but very evidence-based. They're very focused on what is the evidence telling us and then making decisions. And then to maybe put a bow around this, not just saying this because you're on the line, but EDB is the model, in my mind, globally for how you attract high growth businesses, how you stimulate new industries. And I've shared that with governors of the United States. So I've had the chance to talk to and they say, well, how can we develop a better ecosystem to attract alternative protein companies and I say you should go to EDB's website and start there. Job. It's a sense of oh, what Singapore is doing <laughs> because they're just a passionate, thoughtful, coordinated, disciplined, all-encompassing approach that has just made it so much easier for us to do what we need to do in setting up operations and navigating regulatory and navigating incentive, navigating land. I just couldn't give more of a compliment to EDB team than they are a central reason why we were in Singapore because they really opened up the door to us and told us all about it and helped us sort out where to go and how to orient ourselves. So if all other countries want to know how to do it, <laughs> that's they should very start. Kind. So that's, Thank you that's so much, great, Josh. Uh, yeah, that's great. Great compliments for EDB, Josh. And for Incorp, who, who is your service provider in Singapore, we are glad to be part of your journey here and beyond as well. And I guess on a very macro mode uh, to end off the session or the episode here today, right, to both of you, what are your thoughts on the next bound opportunities, right, for the future of food and agri-tech within or in the wider Southeast Asia. So we've spoken a lot about Singapore, but I guess um, our audience here who, who may be listeners from around the world, right, what are the next opportunities in the food tech space? And add-on question to that is, what is your advice to companies or entrepreneurs who want to come into this region in Southeast Asia? So maybe Jinin, you want to start first? Yeah, sure. I think for me, as we look at the agri-food tech sector, there's definitely a lot of innovation going on. I think from Singapore's perspective, one area that's going to be increasingly important for us is sustainability. And this is really in tandem with the global movement that is sweeping across uh, all industries. And I think, well, the underlying premise of the agri-food tech industry is that it uses significantly less resources than its traditional counterparts. We think that there's more that can be done on a life cycle basis. Personally, I see it as both a challenge and an opportunity. And the opportunity lies in developing new solutions that can help to differentiate the competition. So you would have heard that Singapore is committed to doing our part to reduce greenhouse gases. We've developed the Singapore Green Plan as part of that effort. Uh, but that's a topic for another day. On the agri-food side, what we are committed to is to work with companies to develop and test new technologies in energy efficiency, affordable decarbonization, 
uh, as well as circular economy and waste valorization solutions. So some of these are going to be tested at the AgriFood Innovation Park that we're building. We do believe as well that there will be opportunities to collaborate with countries in the region uh, on some of these solution development as well. Thank you, Jinin. Uh, Josh, what are your thoughts? I think the future is a combination of existing companies that are there, they're scaling right? So it, it's not enough for a company like us just to serve a handful of restaurants. We've got to expand it to thousands of restaurants and then ultimately expand it outside sales outside Singapore. So I think one it's one part scale. And then the second part, I see a lots of new companies all across Southeast Asia that just haven't been started yet. You know, whether that's in protein separation technology, egg, meat, fermentation, cultivated meat, or things I can't even imagine right now. I see a lot more companies getting started. As I, I know the group of young people between 12 and 18 from United World College that I sat now, and they're probably going to start their company sometime soon. <laughs> that, that's to happen. In terms of advice, I would say try to have a mindset that is both incredibly ambitious about what you can do and a mindset that realizes you've got to get the first thing done first to give yourself an opportunity to do the next thing. So for us, ultimately, I want cultured meat to be the most widely consumed meat in Southeast Asia. But I'm starting in Singapore at a hawker stand named Mr. Luce, right? <laughs> got to keep both things in line, right? If you're trying to do too many things at once, cover too many countries at once, try to cover too many products at once, you're never going to get that first thing done. So you've got to really sequence how you do things to get the first thing right, then the second, and then the third, knowing that it's all going to lead up to the larger goal that you want. And that was a really important lesson for me that I learned early on. It took me too long to, to learn it. I was just doing too many things. Mm. And I learned that um, sequencing things doesn't mean that you don't still keep your eye on what that larger prize is, that larger goal of changing the food system, but it does give you a higher probability of doing it because you're building a foundation. And for us, the foundation of Southeast Asia uh, and Asia generally uh, starts in Singapore and, and making sure that we execute well there. Great advice, uh, Josh. Thanks to, to both uh, Josh and uh, Jinin here today. And then thanks to the audience for tuning in to this insightful podcast today. I mean, if you'd like to learn more about the emerging industries in Southeast Asia and considering to expand your business uh, here, Right, Incorp and EDB, we have worked together to bring you an ebook or a publication which is titled The Sea of Opportunities Understanding Southeast Asia. So, this ebook is a guide on current market conditions in all 10 Southeast Asian countries, highlighting key opportunities in various industries. So, if you're interested to download this ebook, right, do head on to our website or EDB's website and get a copy on your own soon. And again, thanks to the audience for listening into our podcast uh, today. Thanks to our speakers who, who joined us uh, here today as well. And stay tuned for the next episode where we explore consumer innovation and corporate venturing in Southeast Asia's consumer industry. Josh and Jane, thanks again Thank for you your time.